Inside Boys Podcast, another episode, another week. I'm back. Kunle is with me, and we have a very, very special guest in the building. Um, you want to go ahead and introduce him? I'll try this again. Uh, so we have a well-known person in the city. I don't know. If you don't know, well, you'll, you'll know after this interview. If you haven't eaten his food, you haven't eaten real good food yet in the city. If you haven't been to any event this man has done, I really don't know what you're doing. Uh, we have our guy, very esteemed, well-known, Eli Fema. Thanks for gassing me up, bro. I got to. Great intro. So What's we've been on? we've been meaning to connect for quite a while. Yeah. I think we've been talking for like almost almost a month about getting you on. Um, you've had your hand in quite a few things. Obviously, the restaurant industry, hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we run in some of the same circles and friends and stuff. So. Um, you, we know that you have some new business ventures mm-hmm. right here in the city. Um, we're downtown Minneapolis right now. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to introduce kind of what you and the family have going on in the past few weeks? Yeah, yeah. So um, we just opened up a bakery, which is like 120 years in the making, right? So um, 120 years yeah, in the making? Yeah, because we're utilizing uh, a starter dough that was passed on from my great-great-grandmother. Wow. Uh, the starter dough is just that... that substitute for yeast in the bread making process okay. so basically starter dough is basically dough that you feed fresh flour water and you pulley it which is like stirring it and then a ratio of room temperature to uh, cooling temperature um, and that creates a live ingredient a live fermentation process and so this process uh, in this this dough this mother dough this starter dough is used um, and most of our breads, specifically our baguettes, our sour, our sourdoughs, um, some of our pastries, and this is a substitute for yeast in the bread-making process. So yeast is that ingredient in bread that um, has a bad rap, and um, when you introduce sourdough, it replaces the yeast, or a starter dough replaces the yeast, and, and by default, eats about it can eat pretty much all the gluten in the bread. So the gluten, of course, is that... Uh, inflammatory in the bread. The sugar, so yep. this is now considered a superfood um, uh, when you're utilizing uh, a, a starter dough in bread. So we kind of like, so my, my great-grandmother passed it on to my great-grandmother, uh, who passed it on to my grandmother, who passed it on to my dad. And so it was 120 to 135 years in the making. Um, and my dad was given a vial of, of starter dough when he left board, when he left to boarding school from Morocco, from Casablanca to London, to London to Strasbourg University, and then Strasbourg University he got his engineering degree. Still had this starter dough, and um, from uh, Strasbourg to Los Angeles. So, and in the meantime, it's incredible because you have to nurture it. You have to, if you slip for one week, mm-hmm. if you don't, if you don't feed it fresh flour or give it the proper ratio from cooling to uh, uh, room temperature, the, the starter dough can die. So it's like a pet. It's a pet. It's basically a pet. Exactly. And so you mix it in with like a new batch and then so you yeah, take some out? Yeah, exactly. So when you're making it, when you're making uh, the dough or the bread, you uh, introduce a star dough to let, to take a little piece off and then it kind of molds into the bread and all mm. of a sudden it, the live ingredient eats the, back, eats okay. the, eats the gluten and uh, allows the dough to have, you know, its own character, has, have, bread, have its own character. And so depending on how you nurture it, the pheromones that come from your skin as you're kneading the bread, everything, everyone, everyone's different, is it? everyone's bread is different. So I know like, um, uh, you know, there's a couple of people in the city that have 20 year, 30 years. So ours is 120 years. So that's why I say 120 years in the making. So you so think if we did like a live taste test with blind, like you could taste like y'all's dough over anybody else? You know, I don't, Maybe I, I don't know. They'll be interesting to do, right? Yeah, I've only segment. I've um, there's, a, a, there's a bakery in uh, in San Francisco um, that uh, I tried their starter dough and it has this such like it has more earthy tones. Like our I don't I don't know I don't our ours is a little delicate, a little doughy, um, but nurtured for over 120 years. So um, that's why I say 120 years in the making and. Uh, we every every year we give a little piece out to friends and family, mm-hmm. and then but it keeps growing, growing, growing. Like you said, it's like a pet. So yeah. this this bakery is called Mother Dough. It's on Capella. It's in the Capella Tower, um, downtown here off Sixth Street, and uh, we're open five days a week, seven to two, and so that's fun. We got the main floor opening uh, in March. So okay. we have the we have the Scott, the street level floor that's open now. The main floor opens in March, and this is gonna be like a Parisian style. Uh, bakery cafe like you know like transform you into the streets of Paris so in Paris they have these things called salon de tea which is like the tea salon mm-hmm. 
And so like there's these tea salons or cafe salons and it's like upscale. Like you have a gentleman mm-hmm. in a in a in a bow tie and a white collared shirt, you know, serving you tea in this beautiful China and and it's like this upscale cafe and there's nothing like that in the city. So we thought, you know, it's in line with our brand of a fine dining hospitality and, and elevated hospitality. So let's do these, you know, kind of salon de teas and hopefully propagate them all over the city. We have a couple of LOI signed in Northeast and North Loop, but right now we're starting Capella Tower and going to have this upscale Parisian style bakery cafe. That's dope. Yeah. Um, I think with the restaurant industry, I feel like you being someone who's behind the scenes and us being people who love food and go to different restaurants, we only see like the, the end. We see the restaurant done. We see the food done. What's that process like from starting from a maybe a blank canvas building that like, let's do this, let's create the culture, let's build this from starting to now. Like, what's that process like? Because that's really bold, right? right. Yeah. Like, in the times that we're in now, yeah. obviously, a lot of things are opening back up slowly. Mm-hmm. But to open up another brick-and-mortar location with two different floors, that's bold. Yeah. That's, yeah. like, almost like a leadership statement. Like, like look, we're, we're, well, we're going to be doing yeah. Especially downtown. And, you know, my father, Chef Fima, David Fima, has doubled down. And Shout always, out to David. Always been, always been a pioneer uh, as far as is humanitarian aid, and it kind of led the way for our family and our community, you know. And so, doubling down, do- doubling down on downtown. Yeah, that's kind of what we're doing, and that's yeah, it's crazy, risky, tripling down because and I know you have another location. Yeah, well, that's in the North Loop, but downtown is like you know the, downtown, the North Loop yeah, is like yeah. the cool kids table, mm-hmm. you know, and like downtown is like you know where Kool Aid sat, you know, and and and. <laughs> <laughs> chill out. Chill no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so yeah, downtown, and you know, but we, we, for me, it's like I grew up downtown. I grew up. My dad had a restaurant called Minneapolis Cafe, and, and it was it was one of the premier restaurants downtown. And and I would walk to my dad would give me ten bucks. I would I didn't go to daycare, I didn't go to preschool. Give me ten bucks. I go to Schinders, buy some basketball cards, mm-hmm. and it was safe. And like those days are so long gone. But I believe in those days coming back. And I believe if if downtown doesn't work. If downtown Minneapolis doesn't work, it's going to trickle out to the suburbs. It's going to trickle out to the North Loop. It's going to trickle out to the whole state. And look at Detroit, you know. Mm-hmm. And, it, yes, Detroit's a way bigger radius of a city than Minneapolis. But if downtown, it's in everyone's best interest to invest in downtown. Because mm-hmm. if downtown doesn't work, then the whole state will suffer. Yeah. And so we kind of want to be, we kind of want to try to lead by example. The here. catalyst to that. Kinda, and, mm-hmm. and, and not trying to do anything for any type of attention, but we but but generally believe that downtown will come back, and it has to come back. So it's going to have a cyclic, um, it's going to be cyclic, but uh, I believe we're going to be on up and trend in the next couple of years. And, 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 you know, we have this hope and we have this and aspirations. And, of course, then, you know, we start making a little traction, then uh, rest in peace, Amir Locke. You know, mm-hmm. and then this happens this week. And right. It's it's a shot to our community first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, let's and talk about that. Yeah. I think we should address that just because um, yeah. obviously we're all Minnesota natives. We've witnessed what's been going on in the past two years, mm-hmm. where it's been a kind of a, a bigger movement than we ever seen before. Um, I would say it's tied to civil rights. Mm-hmm. It's tied to race relations, mm-hmm. but it's just so direct. Like it's such a direct tragedy, even with all the outside influences removed, with the police doing their job when somebody that's innocent ends up dead. It's such a tragedy. Mm-hmm. It's almost like hard to comprehend or hard to like, hard to process. I just want to, I want to try to figure out in my own mind, like what are things that we could do beyond trying to get the state and this laws changed and try to get, you know, feedback from the police to that, you know, make people feel better. What can we do on a personal level? You know, have you guys ever thought about that? Like what we can do to try to make our community whole again? Right. I mean, you know, feeding the community is where it starts, and that's what we're doing. We're working with Second Harvest, Heartland, and Minnesota Central uh, Kitchen. They're doing about 5,000 meals a week for underprivileged communities, and a lot of these underprivileged communities are minority communities. Mm-hmm. So, but that's, that's, that's a reactionary thing that we're doing on the ground level. But when something like this happens, you know, you, you sit back and you wonder, you, you wonder why and how. And how, why again? It's just crazy. We're here again, having the same conversation, mm-hmm. same conversation, and holding our leader leaders accountable is one thing that I can do. You know, because we have the, I'm, not everyone has the connections that we have, and, exactly. and I'm so privileged, especially being, you know, a white male and being having the connections that I was literally given on a silver platter. And so, like texting Jacob, like I did, you know, when this happened, and um, kind of like, you know, not only texting about the vaccine mandate and how I feel about that, but also texting him and telling him how I feel about, uh, 
the accountability for the Minneapolis Police Department. And him hearing from someone like me is a little different than him hearing from someone, you know, pointing a finger in his face. And he, you know, whatever, whatever, you, whatever your opinion is on him, he didn't. I don't think he expected to get into any of this. And mm-hmm. so, and so, trying to, and some, so like you ask, what can we do? Okay, well, I know the privilege I have. I know the connections and the power that, you know, I was get that I was given. So, sh- shooting him a text like I did the other night, and asking him, you know, how I could, how how we could help this process, how we could help our community heal, and also letting him know that. Uh, while we do stand with uh, a police reform, not a police abolishment, and you may disagree, and people listening may disagree, um, we ne- how can we help hold our uh, police department accountable? What is going on? We demand answers. My guests demand answers. My 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 friends are demanding answers, and so him hearing from that from me is kind of like I feel like a, a way that I can tangibly try to help mm-hmm. expedite and like. Because he texted me back right away, right. you know, and he right away, and so like that's something that the average person is not going to get to be right. able to do that. And, and say, so, hey. if you have that connection, if you have those influence, if you have that influence, you we got to use it, and mm-hmm. especially being a white male, I got to use it, mm-hmm. and um, and not just brushing it off as just another black man dead, you know. It's it's and my sister was living lives a floor above the guy and knows oh, him. Yeah, I, I used to live in Bolero as well, so yeah. I was it was like just hit okay, home yeah. a little bit more than. You know, like that could have been and me. His bro. dad, little buddy McLean, you know, a huge influence in the hip hop community. Yeah, uh, I met him a couple of times. I talked to Muja Messiah uh, on Friday with uh, Delano at the restaurant, and it's, I mean, they all strike in different ways, strike home in different ways, and it's just like another one. And so yeah, I feel it's, like seems so necessary. And I feel like some of our peers, some of my peers, I feel like a lot of people are getting tired of it, tired of the narrative. So mm-hmm. instead of, and when they're tired of the narrative, they're trying to, you tend to like shy away from it. Right. right? It's like we always hear it. So we'll, like, it's never going to change. So what else are we going to do for it? You Fuck know what that. I'm saying? It, it, has to it has to change. It has to change. Bro. It has to, because otherwise it's like, like you said, the heart of the city, the heart of the state is downtown and the, the big cities are St. Paul's. And if these things keep happening in these cities, nobody's going to want to come to these cities anymore. You know what I'm right. saying? We can't abolish the police. Like we've seen, even lately the crimes are insane like like what if if anybody suggests that as an idea i just look at them with a blank stare like you really think that's the the message here is we should get rid of the police you can't do that yeah instead of these tragedies happening from the police's end to us it's just going to be our own people you know continuing to destroy our community so it's like i don't i don't have answers there's there's this there's this indoctrinating like relationship between black men and white officers and white officers feel threatened and it's a stigma it's 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 a stigma that is stuck from generation to generation and so like getting maybe you know officers in the room white officers in the room with with black men and 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 trying to have conversations and I don't know what it is, man. It's indoctrinated in, in people in our, in our culture. And I don't think Hollywood has helped it. I don't think. And so, like, my, my, my buddy, uh, John Williams, he's a, uh, he's a liquor rep for Southern Wine and Spirits. And he came in the other day crying because I knew this guy. I'm here. He's my, I mentored him. And he's like, Eli, like, I'm scared. Like, I'm a six, seven black man. I have a license to carry. I'm a Navy graduate. Um, I know how, you know, and if I, if he gets pulled over, the likelihood of something happening to him, um, rises dramatically, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's like, how do you kind of rid that indoctrination, that, that, that stigma, uh, between the white officer and the black man? And, and that's, I know you guys are bringing me here to talk about it, but I I didn't, I didn't even think about it. I know, but it's, it's, it's plaguing our community and plaguing our country and even plaguing the world. I mean. You know, uh, even in the UK, it's an issue. So, um, yeah, how how can I help? Is 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 a question that I'm asking everybody who's listening to this. You know, mm-hmm. and how can we? And and feel free to reach out and and let me know how how I could better help. But I think kind of going right to the top because I have that connection and being like, we're demanding answers. We're demanding change. And he's heard it a million times from right. people, but he hears it from his buddy Eli. Maybe maybe I'll get some answers for us. But mm-hmm. God damn. Yeah, it's tough. I think, too, as as people like us to have businesses and have influences about having that conversation with each other and saying, like, yo, what can we actually tangibly do? Like, do we have to put money towards something? Do we have to bring other people in the room? Do we have to, 
you know, have those meetings that people don't want to have those tough conversations. You know what I'm saying? And I think I've seen organizations like We Push for Peace and different things like that that have had that kind of, you know, they've had that, they have the black, like, perspective to put, yeah. have that conversation with police officers and say, like, hey, even like a situation like that, it's a no-knock entry, right? So say you're from... Uh, yeah, the law has to change. That's really what it change, is. Right? That's it. And it's like, say if you're in a place that's, that you're, like, say, like, you're in a, uh, the ghetto or a, a poorer place, like, there's people who are already running up in places claiming to be the police. So if I'm a kid and I hear boom, 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 police, police, and I'm already used to that, and it's not the police because maybe my house has been robbed or this, that, and a third. It's like, what else? how else do you expect him to react? So having those kind of conversations and saying, like, yo, the reality of things is this is what happened, but the reality of the perspective of the people in those neighborhoods is not the same perspective that you guys are, like, right. we have to have some common ground. This, the whole, exactly, the whole hostile approach, man. Like, I, I, I compared it to, like, I, I've had a business downtown Minneapolis and downtown St. Paul, and I have vagabonds if you want to call it or displaced people come into the restaurant all the time and mm -hmm. cause ruckus like oh, yeah, i remember that one guy the other dude the other day some dude just took a candle and threw it on my bartender tore threw a candle. bro yeah, yeah they'd be doing this shit and at so Fimas, bro. it's crazy and i deal with it probably a couple times a week but i noticed okay if i if someone comes in like that and or just someone and i know they're gonna cause trouble i know they're not here they shouldn't be here mm -hmm. trying to de-escalate the situation by saying hey buddy you know like we have a dress code how about i get you some water next time you come back next time you come back with our dress code dinner's on me mm -hmm. all of a sudden this guy who might have tried to steal might have tried to whatever smoke the blunt in the bathroom now he's <laughs> now he's now he's leaving i'm like oh okay like i looked at him as another human being mm -hmm. and i used to not do that i used to go crazy I'm like hey out of here you know right. out of here whatever and so and then all of a sudden he gets Wow, right. yeah, wow. It's just, bro, we it's were, psychological. It's like 101, man. You can't meet that. It's like 101. This. And the police are doing the same thing. They're coming in so hostile, coming in guns blazing. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, you know. Like you're from a hostile yeah. neighborhood. That's all you know how to react. If you meet me with hostility and I'm already somewhat hostile it's based like on where my environment it's is, like we're just like going to butt heads. <laughs> Dude, we were trying to get lunch and we got our burritos and shit. We got to just sit down for a second, just like, just eat. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Just like a bite and then keep moving. Mm -hmm. These homeless people is at <laughs> in the fucking at the pop machine just stealing pop, bro. <laughs> the manager nigga is yelling at us. We don't have any dining service. Yelling I'm like, bro, they're stealing from y'all right there, and you're worried about oh, us. God, <laughs> man, that's crazy, man. That's the world we live in. Now. I remember one time, yeah, you did handle a situation. I remember I was eating at FEMA's one time, and it was literally just me because you're like, yeah, just come in, I got you. So I'm sitting there, and the next thing you know, I just hear this dude just screaming, and I'm like, oh, it's about to go down. <laughs> it's about to go down. <laughs> then Eli comes over, and he's just like, all right, I'm going to handle the situation. And then, like, it was literally cordial. He's just like, yo, let's get you a water. After that, I'm going to have to kindly ask you to leave. And, you know, he wasn't going, but it was, it was a cordial way of doing it. It's not just like, get the fuck out. We don't like your kind here. It wasn't like that. And right. I say, mm -hmm. you got to treat people with humanity. Dude, I could write a whole book on all the disturbances. A couple weeks ago, a couple months ago now, Tony Parker was in, you know, mm -hmm. NBA Hall of Fame Tony Parker. And he just orders a huge bottle of Chateau Margaux for like, Whatever. I'm not gonna name the price. Chateau Margot. Yeah, a lot of y'all can't up. even can't even <laughs> pronounce that, so look it up. <laughs> so and I had uh I had just walked out the door and my manager was like, Yo, you should come back. Someone in the so I come back and this guy's at Tony Parker's table. Oh god. And he and he's talking trash to Tony and Tony's sitting there and he flips up the bottle and the bottle just shatters all the wine. I mean that's expensive juice, man. And Tony, and Tony, like, the wine just spills all, all over him. On him? Oh, yeah. my God. And so I'm like, oh, my. And Tony at this time, Tony, you know, Parker's been in my restaurant five or six times, and we have a good relationship, you know, a friendly first name relationship, really, whatever. And so I was just like, and he knew it. He's like, it's okay. He's like, he's like, we'll take another bottle, though. Like, yeah, all right. Eli's like, fuck, it's our right. house. I know. <laughs> half off, half, half off. off. Half, <laughs> off <laughs> half off, half off. I was like, get, you know that scene in uh, Limitless when he's like trying to get the last bit of it? And he's like, I'm like, licking like, it. That's, and, uh, <laughs> so I felt like I was like, I got to get this juice. I love that movie. That's a great Limitless. movie. Let's, let's talk basketball a little bit. All right. So uh, you guys have a pretty good relationship with the hometown Timberwolves. Yeah. Um, you have... 
talk a little bit about your integration with your business and, and kind of this season and the past few seasons of how you guys have worked together. Yeah, so we, we began the Timberwolves contract in 2017. Um, yeah, 17 with Jeremy Butler. Also, oh, five years now. Five yeah, years. Yeah, we're, we're going congrats, into our fifth congrats. year. Thank you, man. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Not, you guys know me. I'm a huge basketball fan. And my dad grew up, you know, uh, in Los Angeles. You know, Realistically, the, do you think you can beat me one-on-one? We got to go. You've been talking right. You've been talking smack for just, years now. Just so y'all, y'all here. Do you want an right. athlete? I don't give a damn. <laughs> I, I play for Hopkins. All right? <laughs> Was it no, I don't play. I, I sat on the bench the whole time. <laughs> Um, so this uh, relationship has grown and, and we've taken steps backwards, taken steps forward. Um, so we started out doing, uh, my dad is still the executive chef of the Minnesota Timberwolves and Link. So mm-hmm. we started out uh, handling all the sports nutrition for all the players and all the fan experience, food and beverage. And um, we were actually the first uh, ones in the NBA to have that duality um, in the arena and in the locker room, a chef driven approach to stadium food where you don't want to just you don't want to eat before you go to the game you want to come to the game to eat mm-hmm. you know so what, what does that look like though so the players are getting catered meals before they have so, games or so uh that la- we did we were in the locker room for two and a half years uh and then now we're, we we pulled out the locker room so we're not no longer they're doing their own catering before and after game a lot of times we'll do the catering for them um but they're doing a lot of out of house catering and restaurants and mm-hmm. you know whatever uh, and not the locker rooms, um, but uh, now we're just doing fan experience. So we're kind of honing in on um, upping the game for the fans. Um, so that's going to be the Lexus Courtside Club and uh, the general concessions and the suite levels. And then a lot of uh, a lot of the the front office will come in and we'll do a lot of parties, probably like two or three parties a week, whether it's a sales team, whether it's the coaches, and so. But over the time, it's funny because the moment I, we pulled out the locker room, um, it was a tough decision to make mm-hmm. because that was like you know amazing being able to feed these guys and it, it was tough. I'm gonna. But be that honest. was on your end. You guys decided that it was mutual. But okay. yeah, because uh, we wanted to focus on the fan experience. But mm-hmm. it was tough because like this, how cool can we like be able to try to impact the you know these guys and, and their game? But but it, there's a lot of disagreement and um, and as as there is. Uh, I'm sure in a lot of locker rooms on the food and 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 my dad being a French Moroccan integrity, chef, integrity, but yes, and and was very they wanted stubborn, they want to change and sub stu- stuff. They, and I mean, he doesn't do that, you yeah, know. You can't you can't, don't see you can't teach your old dog. He wasn't gonna do it. Wasn't going for it. All the peanut butter we make the peanut butter. All the breads we make the breads. We're not buying any mm-hmm. ingredients. Everything is coming from house. You know, brown rice with with the halibut and a little bit of a blanc for lunch instead of the fried chicken and in uh the cheeseburgers and the pastas but at the end of the day these guys eat what they want to eat they're and millionaires i mean they, they, they're ordering what they think you know they want to eat today exactly and and they'll they'll play the way they play but i'll tell you one thing man you know know who ate the most most of our food jamal crawford lindsey whalen okay what do those two have in common longevity legends, legends. Longevity. longevity longevity jamal crawford playing into his high 30s lindsey whalen playing almost till she's 40. why nutrition health Mm-hmm. Tom Brady, LeBron James, these guys give a shit about nutrition. Yeah. And that is the number one catalyst in our in our belief system and our philosophy to an athlete's uh shelf life. Yeah. And me being a former athlete and a trainer, like I tell people when they train with me, it's like realistically, even if I saw you five times a week for an hour a day, there's yeah. 156 hours in this week. Yeah. You think this five hours that I have is going to change your whole life and what okay. you do in your habits? Yeah. It might start it, it might be the catalyst to it, but if you don't change what the hell you eat, that 80% that goes into your body, that 20% that you output is going to be trash regardless. You right. know what I'm saying? So if you don't take care of your nutrition and you're trying to build something with your body, whether it's just a regular human, but especially a high-level athlete, mm-hmm. and you think those little hours in between, you got you to gotta feel, feel your body with some good stuff. You have to. Who were we talking about the other day? Uh, Ocho Cinco? He Ocho said Cinco. he just eats McDonald's. Well, look at, I mean, you saw how yeah, he, AE, saw, yeah. he saw, he saw, he saw AE came with, uh, uh, with the McDonald's, McDonald's at the after, the pregame. He's like young, he's burning that. He's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's good, it's fine, whatever. But imagine if he said, no, 20. I'm going to go, I'm going to eat 24-ounce steak over some white rice and tons of broccoli and a huge loaf of bread. That's the same calorie, but just so much better. So much cleaner. So much better. And those joints are not going to be inflamed. 
and it might move just a little bit quicker. This much, this a little, but this much could change one a point whole, in the game. A whole but, game, man. But you know, a ones, a ones, a ones. So, yeah, he's and I, yeah, like steak sauce. <laughs> he's an animal. So, so yeah. So now we're just doing the fan experience, and 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 we're still ex- you know executive catering company for the Timberwolves. Um, but now it's like that relationship has grown. Every ever since we stepped out of the locker room, it's like now it's like. I'm way more in touch with the players mm-hmm. uh, on a personal level and a food level. And, you know, TP was in last night with his agent. You know, Malik Beasley's coming in probably twice a week. Pat Bev's coming in three, four times a week. I mean, it's like ever ever since we stepped in the locker room, it's like all of a sudden the universe is like, all right, well, I'm going to still give you what you deserve. And that's just so amazing. Like it puts so much perspective, perspective because when we, when we got the locker room, I was so upset, man. I was so upset because I was such a dream, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to, be, able be to that close players. be that yeah. close yep and now it's like oh it's like these guys are coming to me now so pat pat's coming in four times a week well, yeah to we, have a, we have a special for yeah what is that pat bev special <laughs> called the pb special what's on his what's so on his it's uh funny. I, lo- I love his chef chef heinrich uh-huh. he asked me for the recipe I, I le- <laughs> <laughs> I le- we don't give no I, le- I left him on red so if he sees this i love you bro but come on you know like be real be real <laughs> I'm a, but i'm gonna tell you what now here's a chance if you're listening i'm gonna tell you what we do here right. we do a little white wine and red wine reduction. reduction with a tomato confit and a um sun-dried tomato a uh, little bit of our fermented butter which you'll never be able to replicate but you can do, do it of your own it's called smen it's okay. called smen has a weird name, Smen. Uh, it's a Moroccan fermented butter. And then uh, a little bit of local organic cream from Stony Creek. So we do that reduction three, four times over, introduce some handcrafted reggaeton in, and then do a, um, uh, a A1 Wagyu from Australia. Who knows why? In the cast iron. That's what it is. That's what, the it cast is. Iron. That's what it is. And then we'll get that baby down nice to the per- perfect temp. And so in the cast iron, all the, so you don't, we don't ever grill steaks in a French kitchen. Mm-hmm. We do the cast iron because then the juices and the fat, the au jus and the fat from the steak go into the cast iron and it cooks in the fat. Mm-hmm. It cooks so in its own juice. It's almost yeah. like a, a confit. That's Instead of con, dripping that's down. That's what confit means, cooking with its own fat or okay. its own sauce. So, and so you take that juicy steak and then you take it out and you, and you do a, a little bias cut, which means a slanted cut. Mm-hmm. Put it over the top of the, re, the rigatoni. A little bit of Parmesan, a little bit of French herb, which is called Herbes de Bovance. Herbes de Bovance contains of usually basil, thyme, oregano, sage, and rosemary. Sometimes lavender. We don't do any lavender. A little French herb over the top, and that's called the PB special. Wow. Yeah, I don't know if his crack. chef is pulling that off. You heard it here first, <laughs> man. Heinrich's talented. That you heard it good. here chef first. Chef Heinrich's good. I love that guy. Also a Frenchman. Uh, really talented. Really talented. Who else in the city uh, would you big up kind of like that, you know, that you notice just from their business acumen as well as, you know, the quality of their food and uh, hospitality-wise? So, many. so, so Like who many. jumps right to your mind, Maybe though? like five. Well, you know, Justin Sarlin's a good friend of mine. So no, Justin, works for, Justin. Justin works for my pops for set, like five, six years. Um, and then opened up Handsome Hog, uh, um, hence after. So Justin, like, I was I was our delivery boy when Justin was our CDC and mm-hmm. sous chef. Oh, yeah. Just, we were both, you know, I was, mm-hmm. I was delivering breads to Lifetime Fitness because we all do all the baked goods for Lifetime Fitness as well. And so... I was living breads and then coming back after a six, seven hour delivery and running and on the floor being a busboy. Mm-hmm. And Justin was my chef. Oh, yeah. And then I graduated, he graduated, and this is kind of fun. So, like, I kind of kind of started my, you know, he was like, he started with us. And I, so, um, you know, and there's a lot of other chefs he learned from, but one of the, his main mentors is my father. So, Sutherland is, uh, is close to my heart and he's a brother to me. And same with Jeremy. But, Sutherland, of course, you have Gavin Kaysen, who's incredible. Spoon and stable, right? And, you know, Gavin. Yeah, putting, putting, and I just. More than it. just spoon, he got quite a few spots. I mean, that's the main yeah. one. That, so he's yeah. opening the four seasons. So Gavin, you know, oh, Gavin and I's relationship yeah. kind of budded this yeah. year. <laughs> um, and our relationship budded through our buddy who brings brings me on to the third one. He said five, right? Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if he said. Article, uh, yeah. Kamal, Kamal. And Arif from Nashville Cool. Nashville Cool. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, y'all, I didn't man. even know his name. I'll be honest, yeah. but uh, that's a good, good uh, so, relationship. So Kamal's my boy, and uh, we. I have didn't a, even realize when I went over to your birthday party that that was, that was Kamal. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. That's I funny. mean, he's such a you know, laid back he, dude. You would never yeah, know. He, he has stepchild in Nashville Coop, but he is a he has an invention for an invention. He's he has an idea for an idea. He's a forward thinker. He has this amazing press I can't say too much about that he patented and we're working with him with our breads to do this gourmet lunchable thing uh, or not uh, lunchable uncrustable thing mm. uh, and so he's he's incredible he's someone if you want to do food and beverage have him on the podcast 
But we have this thing called Monday Supper Club, and it's like me, Kamal, Rob from Folly Coffee, which is another incredible person and talent in our uh, industry. So Rob has Folly Coffee, and that's where we utilize all our coffee for, through his. He's a Dartmouth grad. He played football at Dartmouth. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I got some interest from Dartmouth guy. back in yeah, the, so, back in the and day. And then he's like, nah, whatever. I'm Wait, a, that's I'll, the same one I met at, uh, at your place, too. Yeah, 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 coffee. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. I met them both, I met them both. So, so small city, man. So city. I got, on my lineup, I got Justin, I got Gavin, you got Kamal, you got Rob, and then uh, my buddy Nile. So Chef Nile, he, he's the former chef of the Hewing. Mm-hmm. Um, he should, pro- he should probably uh, go back. What? <laughs> so they need to bring him back. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, dude, he, he did a lot of great things for the Hewing, and he's, he's, a, he's like an old school chef, but he's a young man, like, he's like my age, and he is like hard-headed but so passionate and incredibly embracing like he uplifts all his staff mm-hmm. didn't work out at the hewing but i'm really excited to see what's next i'm trying to poach him to come to our new venture at the north loop mm-hmm. but this guy you talk about someone who is incredible with knives incredible understands french culinary from the ground up the mother sauces and understands how to run a kitchen he chef nile will is going to be one of the top chefs in our community maybe even the country in the country you're gonna he's gonna be a household name so chef nile kamal rob gavin justin there's a lot of talent in the city yeah. brian ingram mm-hmm. you know um so we all you know it's fun because it's like we all inspire each other man. so that's awesome to hear let's yeah. jump to another i know that we didn't talk about this previously but um fatherhood yeah, new father. Yeah, um, you have a young son. Young son. We had the appointment today. Six months. Six already. I was yeah. gonna say four. About yeah, six. six. Months, wow, yeah. that first six flies by, man. Mm-hmm. How has that kind of affected your uh, life professionally as well as family? I haven't changed family? a diaper in like six weeks, man. I'm no way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, my my baby, my girl Daphne takes amazing care of him, but it's opened me up to a perspective of this. Wow, how privileged I am and. And that any entitlement that, you know, I felt like, you know, this my this entitlement or immaturity that I might have carried is kind of eradicating. And because of this perspective, this this little guy has brought me and so blessed to have him in my life, you know, so fatherhood will do things to you that nothing else can. Right. Completely agree. And so my grind is a little cleaner. Yeah. You know, my my like, all right, this this kind of running around with like and this entitlement is kind of like going away like i'm so like every day i wake up it's, it's just thankfulness and so mm-hmm. that's what he's brought to my life what's uh i know you're, he's young so the, some of the life lessons aren't going to pan out until later but is there something that like you remember when you were young that your dad used to always like get on to you about that you're kind of like damn i understand why he was telling yeah, me that yeah. now, now that you're saying the I same thing i bad for my dad yeah. yeah i went up to my dad and gave him a hug the other day and we had <laughs> It's like, you know, because I want, and it's even when, you know, my dad and I work together, we have a, we're in a working environment. And so there's some times where I cross the line and, and become disrespectful. And it's like, my conscience is like, no, because if Yossi did that to me, I'd be so pissed. So now I get like how, <laughs> you know, like, don't walk away from your father. Always, yeah. all, even if your father's wrong, because he can be, mm-hmm. he's, he's Man up, look him in the eyes, and don't walk away. I, I was walking away from my dad. Yeah, like no. I'm I'm dealing with a two year old, so oh, yeah. we're already in that yeah. stage where it's like full on just disobedience, full on just yeah. no, no, yeah. no. Yeah. Maybe you might even get a, a right yes. hook. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, um, yeah, I'm seeing that now. I'm I'm knowing what my parents were dealing with when I was a young child, and I'm like, wow. And I know when he when he even when he was in the womb, I was like, it's crazy because life is tough no matter how privileged we are mm-hmm. right how blessed we are life is tough there is you we grieve you know we go through turmoil and 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 so like having even when he was in the room i was like this kid's gonna go through it like he's gonna have times like he's gonna get his heart broken he's gonna he's gonna you know fall on his face and it's like you have this like you want to protect him you know and 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 so it's brought this perspective of like you know I want to protect him. Yeah, you know? it's yeah. Like, and but he's gonna go through it. He's gonna. Yeah, crazy. he's going to. Uh, you know? I got a question for both yeah. of you guys since you guys are fathers. Um, so with this day and age, how do you guys like plan on dealing with social media with your kids growing up? You know what I'm saying? It's infiltrated in everything. Like how they learn is social. I, like I train kids, and I'm like, I asked a kid if he knew what a screen printer was, and he's like, Yeah. And I'm like, How the hell do you know what a screen printer? He's like, TikTok. So I'm like, How do you guys gonna like? 
are you guys going to limit your kids? You know, there's a whole Kanye Kim thing with like Kanye's like, I don't want my kid on social media and all this type of stuff. I know your kids are young, so they're not there yet. But how do you guys plan on like moving forward with the social media aspect of like how it shapes them in life? Yeah, I mean, trying to limit that screen time, right? Even like he watches a lot of basketball with me and trying to limit the screen time, read more books. Definitely going to try to influence him to go to summer camp, you know, Mm -hmm. something where like, like I, we, I, we caught the tail end of that magic, right? Mm-hmm. That magic where we weren't cyborgs. We weren't mm-hmm. like completely numb. Yeah, engulfed in, in the technology every day. I mean, the, where we had to log on and hear that. Mm-hmm. Oh, we definitely AOL, caught the end of it. Five minutes mm-hmm. just to chat with that shorty. Mm-hmm. You know, the AOL. Night, the, and it's ah. like, is she on? Is she not on? <laughs> it's, you know, messenger, yeah. it's like, yeah. and so that magic, that like the unknown, the, 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 not everything's at the fingertips. And that like, it's so sad, and I get so nostalgic about it sometimes. But like, I gotta remind myself that like, this is just the way the world the world's evolving, mm-hmm. and and so trying to give him a little shade of that. I keep saying the word magic. That the magic for me in this situation is is the the relationship being detached from you know the the people and the technology, the human technology. That's where I think where that magic lives. And of course, there's magic with our relationship with technology, mm-hmm. the way we get to do this podcast, the way we get to look something up. We don't have to, but there's also magic that lives in that disengagement mm-hmm. and yeah. trying to show. And I'm going to try to show him that magic in that in that in that area mm-hmm. as much as possible. Hundred percent. Um, that's a great answer. Just because, oftentimes, as a parent, you know, once your child gets a little bit more independence, we're oftentimes like shunning them, like go go play, go in your room, watch a movie. Now it's the iPad. All the kids have. IPads. Yeah, we do the iPad well, no. thing, and it's like now if you don't have the iPad, you're freaking out. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's like I try to get involved and try to introduce her to things outside of screens. Mm-hmm. That um, because obviously, I mean, I'm a nerd. I, I yeah. have my life, my job. Even when I'm in the club, I'm on the fucking laptop. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, how can I be that hypocritical for me to spend 90% of my day in front of two phones and a laptop and just tell you you can't watch TV? But I try to get her involved and teach her and introduce her to things that are outside. You know, like, obviously, it's been a little bit weird with COVID, but I try to take her to the library, get her into books. She's Mm -hmm. really into reading. Mm -hmm. Um, Try to introduce her to sports, go to the gym, shoot basketballs, run around, just... You know, some of those things that now it's not even being a normal kid. You know what I mean? Right. It, for us, that was what being a normal kid was. I mean, I'm, I remember my parents would, they would take, they would, I would go with them to work out at the gym, play in the gym while they were working on the machines. I'd get sent to summer camp for a whole month. Yeah. yeah. I don't I see know, parents was, not doing that summer anymore. Summer camp, five, six weeks, no yeah. phone. At all. We had, to, we had to write our family. Like, mm-hmm. that was so... F- yeah. Uh, so magical. Yeah, I think it's important for every generation to kind so, of. So yeah, it's it's a, it's a balance, yeah. but at the same time, I'm a I'm a protective parent, but I'm also very honest with my child. So mm-hmm. I don't want to try to hide things from her. Yeah, I want to teach her about things because I know things that my parents tried to keep me away from. I just wanted more of. It's ended up backfiring. Yeah. Yeah, it backfired a lot. So I think I want to be open and honest, and you know I don't we we swear around her and stuff like that, but we just make it very clear like you're a child, we're adults. We're going to be on Twitter and Instagram. You're not having that. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there's going to become a time where it's like every kid has a phone. And even as a kid, when I was a kid, I was hacking my shit and getting around the parental controls. It's only so much you can do. Yeah. But I'm going you know, to try. Now we're on the cusp of another technology. Another wave. Re- revolution. I mean, here we are in the meta. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, it's already there. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, people laughed at what WW, the World Wide Web. Mm-hmm. And, you know, only, you know, Ten, only one percent of websites would hit, you know, would be successful. Now it's like, you know, and it's crazy. I mean, I was watching uh, Pam and Tommy on Hulu. It's so good. You got to watch it. It's about, <laughs> it's about the the Pam, Pamela Anderson and Tommy. Oh Jones, yeah, yeah. I just seen that. I just seen that. I haven't, I haven't seen that yeah, episode. The guy but. who leaks, leaks the sex tape is mm-hmm. uh, plays. Um, it's, it's Seth Rogen. He plays a guy, but they're like talking about. So the whole thing is like, they're trying to find a uh, a. A company or, or a porn studio to mm-hmm. leak this tape, mm-hmm. and all the studios are like, no way, no way. Mm-hmm. And then, and then Seth Rogen's character is like, wait, if, what about the World Wide Web? And they're oh. all like, no, nah. like, what do you mean the World Wide Web? Mm-hmm. And it's like, let's leak it on the World Wide Web, and it's like so crazy, snaps you back into that. Like, and that was what only. Like, it was like what ten years ago? Two, two decades? No, it was about almost two and a half decades two and ago. Two and a half, mid nineties. That's what I'm saying. They say like the the Just technology like boom from like the last ten years is equivalent to what it was the last like 150 years. It's insane, man. We're just rapidly moving. Rapidly. 
Well, it's because I mean we're getting more access. Like think about it. As a kid, what we didn't have cell phones. Now you can build a whole business yeah. off a cell phone. Now we barely had laptops. You can build a whole business. You can <laughs> easily. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can you, you can, can film a movie. Yeah. So here we are. You yeah. Know? I want to run um the speed round. Yeah. I like that that segment. <laughs> so you can explain it. So yeah, we got a, a speed round. So a segment, you know, just to kind of open our guests up. So I'm just gonna say. Could be a phrase, it could be two things, and you just kind of say the first thing that kind of comes to your head after right. I say it, all right? That's another spot, man. <laughs> Everyone gets so scared. <laughs> no, it's fun. No, it's, it's fun. Bring it, baby. All right, first one tequila or vodka? Tequila, agave. Agave, okay. Chicken or steak? Steak. Pinot Grigio, Pinot Noir? Neither. Neither. Wow, no, what's, yeah, the, no. what's the choice? You, now you're I talking know. my alley. I know, bro. I know, I knew it was going to happen. Pinot Noir, it's, it's, it's a No, you know what? I, I'm a believer in not wine with food, but wine with mood, right? It's, mm. like, it's whatever mm. mood. That's a bar. That's a bar. It's, That's a bar. It's whatever mood you're in, right? And mm-hmm. so, yes, there is time for Pinot Grigio, even though Pinot Grigio is like the Bud Light of mm-hmm. wine, right? Okay. Pinot Grigio doesn't have the ability to express itself and develop so if you're it's a 95 degree day and and i want something a little citrus lime lemon so it smells like fr- fresh cut grass or the tennis balls when you open the french tennis ball Jeez. that's your pinot grigio <laughs> if, if 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 i if i if i want a pinot noir if if i if if it's if if there's a nice steak and it has a really robust sauce and it's like already doing all the talking for me maybe mm-hmm. a pinot noir but pinot it's noir. wine with Mood, not wine with food, but I'm a big, I love French blend. French blend, I should have just said that one, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're going to like this one since he's got the tattoo. Wu-Tang or TDE? What the fuck, man? Wu-Tang, man. It's forever. It's forever. (laughs) All right, (laughs) this is a good one, too. Kevin Garnett or Anthony Edwards? Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett. Give Anthony Edwards five, ten years, you're still giving Kevin Garnett? That's my childhood. That's your childhood. So you're saying if AE takes us and wins, you're still picking Kevin? Ah, yeah, I'm slipping Kevin because okay, okay. it hits home. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, was a, that was the last one of, uh, of the speed round. See, it wasn't <laughs> like, that bad. It wasn't that yeah. bad. <laughs> all right, we'll go to the next segment. We call this our business tip of the week. All right, so we're all pretty much entrepreneurs or some light. So um, I'm just going to ask you, what's uh, for your entrepreneurs or somebody who's trying to get into the restaurant business, what is a business tip that you would give them that you wish you probably had when you were like younger, starting? As platuitous as it sounds, is cliche or trite as it sounds keep going because you got to keep going mm-hmm. even when you fail because every time you fail that's an opportunity because most people are going to stop mm-hmm. and so if you fail and keep going now all of a sudden you're one-upping your competition um and that competition should solely be directed inwards should be it should be with the self but of course we're in the business world so we have competitions everywhere right mm-hmm. all the buddies that i just named to you those all those chefs that's competition but the real competition's here. So you just keep going and you just keep going. I mean, FEMA's, for example, right? FEMA started off with a hot spot, mm-hmm. new restaurant, boom, sold out, sold out. All of a sudden, we hit the streak where it's like business went down. And I'm like thinking, you know, like, what, you know, but instead of panicking, you take every guess, whether it's one or 1,000. And this mm-hmm. is another tip the one or 1,000 rule. My, that's a rule that I tell my staff all the time, whether it's one guess or 1,000 guess. You come with the same, I'll come with my same suit, same tie, not same fresh, freshly dressed, same mindset as if I'm coming for a thousand people Mm -hmm. because you can't get caught slipping. So the one in 1,000 rule mixed in with keep going that because all of a sudden FEMA's, we take in one guest that even if it's just one guest that had a great time, all of a sudden that's, that's like currency. Mm -hmm. I have that guest now. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden 10 guests coming tomorrow. Uh, they all had a great time, and I have ten guests. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, fifty guests come in. I have fifty, and all of a sudden, no, back to five guests. And I keep stacking up mm-hmm. these good experiences in the restaurant. And all of a sudden, we got back into a full swing. And all of a sudden, we're busy now around mm-hmm. the clock. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, especially in the restaurant business, that that new infatuation that the guests and the community has with the new restaurant always fades. Usually mm-hmm. does. Most mm-hmm. restaurants does. But you got to keep stacking that currency, stacking those guests, and the currency resides in the experience that you're giving. So. Those are kind of that's. I love, I love that answer because I look at it the same way when I approach my music career. Exactly. It's I'm I'm trying to build a lifelong fan. So yeah, as you grow your base of customers, clients, people that are interested in or just viewership, if you can just make sure one person is obsessed with you, they're gonna go tell five more. Mm-hmm. 
and those five can be brought to you and then you turn those into fans. But if you're trying to focus on everybody at once, is it? not gonna it's, it's, it's not, not going to happen. Yeah, right. but you, I got to treat every single room, whether it's like you said, one person or it's a thousand per- people. Exactly. I got to treat, I got to give my all to that room. Exactly. Because if you just bullshit through it, just because you say, oh, there's only five people here tonight, uh, right. maybe next week we'll have a, a busy lot, show. A lot of people in your industry, DJs or, or artists in my industry will have that multiple standard. And for me, that's like, that's the kiss of death because there's no multiple standard when it comes to volume of how many you're performing for or giving experience to. And there's no multiple standard in who it is that you're performing for. If it's a group of 16-year-old girls that come and they can't drink, uh, they, they just want to have a good time. It's their 16th birthday. I'm going to treat them the same way yeah. that I treat uh, the executive CEO for the Timberwolves. Get us some kitty cocktails. Yeah, kitty cocktails. And I'm you gonna... never know who somebody might be, too. You A lot of people will write people off, maybe yeah. how they're dressed, or mm-hmm. just you just don't know them. Mm-hmm. You never know. You never, you gotta know, never yeah. know. Especially nowadays, you got to treat it the same way with the internet. Somebody reaches out to you via email or a DM or something, you got to yeah, field we, it all. We uh, we were had this inquiry for um, a, a 20 top dinner a couple weeks ago, and this lady was being so hard. We were almost like, just don't respond, whatever. Like it doesn't sound, and I'll, and then she's like, I want to, I don't want a prefix menu. I want a regular, I want the regular menu. I got the VIP coming. We're like, okay, whatever. But all of a sudden, this lady, she's the touring manager for Casey Musgrave. She's a touring manager for Childish Gambino. She's a touring manager for Jeez. Justin Bieber. Yeah. And so it's like no multiple standard, but that's a good thing we kept, you know, the same standard. We kept the yeah. same, yeah, and we didn't like write it off like, mm-hmm. oh, this is gonna be a shit show of an event because some people will like if they're saying, oh, we don't want to do one tab or oh, all of a sudden we're like, no, 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 that's not our crowd. It's not gonna, it's not gonna be worth it. Um, but all of a sudden now she's like, you know, she already booked it when she's coming back with Bieber. Right. So it, you don't want to carry multiple standards, but at some point, business is business. So let's say this, like, like if you guys are sold out. And you have to pick between certain reservations. Is it always first come, first serve? Or does anybody have, you know, that, that secret bat phone where they're like, hey, you got to pull this plug for me? You're about to exploit me. No, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, <laughs> I know no. in, my, in my business, I, I give preferential treatment to bigger clients who are spending more money. There's, there's a loyalty component. Like, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you've been loyal and you're an incredible guest of mine, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out here. Social right? equity. They built yeah, their equity yeah. with you. You know what I mean? Like... Uh, it happens almost every week. You know, we're sold out on tables on Saturday night, and then I get texts from, you know, Malik Beasley. They want to have dinner. Of course, I'll make room. I'll push something. Around. I'll out. call. I'll call the you seven. Get o'clock. that text from me too. He'll I'll, figure it out. I ain't doing shit for you. You can, you can eat at the bars. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting kicked bar. out with the people. Yeah, yeah. You, you can get a water. Yeah. <laughs> get the oh, fuck out. Just go. Just go. Charging double, man. You know. Oh, but yeah, there, there's definitely a little preferential treatment to to loyal, but it doesn't matter who you are, right? Yeah. I mean, I have a guy, this the guy named, he goes by Wiseman. He comes in. That's a I great don't know, name. I don't know what he does, but he comes in and <laughs> drops like 50 bucks. I mean, he looks like he's off the streets. Mm-hmm. But he drops like 50 bucks a time, but like we come in, it's like, Wiseman, what up? And we, we love seeing him, you know, because he, you know. He carries he gives, that energy. He has that energy. He has a little street knowledge, and it's like, I, I love seeing him just as much as I love seeing you know, an, mm-hmm. uh, an A-list. You know, we have Machine Gun, Kylie, and Megan Fox, and and uh, and so it doesn't matter who it is. Yeah, right. you know, yeah. So I would say, yeah. uh, I guess my tip was um, heard this from. Um, I think I got it from Zig Ziglar. Uh, if you help enough people get what they want, you'll get what you want out of life. So yeah. I think I kind of incorporated it when I started making clothes. Because at first when I was doing my sweat equity stuff, I wasn't making clothes right away. Then somebody's like, yeah, start making clothes. Like, I think that's another way to brand. I'm like, okay, cool. Then it started to, like, slow down. You know, you got that buzz, like the fresh restaurant buzz. Oh, I got a new brand. You guys do this. But then after a while, people, okay, if everybody got a sweatshirt now, now what do you do to, like, keep it going? And then I'm like, okay, I'm getting good at making stuff. Why don't I just help other people who need brands and yeah. help them? Yeah. And then I, when I started doing that, I started getting more funding to do some yeah. more, more exactly. of my stuff. So yeah. I'm like, wow, this is how this principle works, real life, real time. So, yeah, you help enough people do what you want. You build a skill set to help other people. You will definitely get a lot more out of life than you expect. I love that, man. It's a good philosophy. It recycles for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know we, we all got to run. We're all busy today. But um, I, I'd probably leave on the note that if, if I was to give a tip this week, it would just be, don't panic, just adapt. Because mm-hmm. uh, when you start panicking, you're going to make mistakes, and you're never going to get anything done that you need mm-hmm. to get done the correct way. So That's how I feel about everything right now with technology. Yeah. I'm like, I, don't, I almost don't want to immerse 
in it, but I can't panic. I got, I got, we got to adapt. Mm -hmm. Got to adapt. You, know? you got to adapt to it. I get people hit me up about that, you know, incorporating NFTs in restaurants. And I'm like, let's do it. Let's adapt. Mm -hmm. Let's adapt. Let's go. And so we're going to be working with a company out of Chicago uh, called uh, uh, I'm No Art. And they're really, really cool. They work a lot with Beeple and a lot of the huge, oh, yeah, they're huge. huge, they're huge in Chicago. So they're working with us. They're going to build Femas out in the metaverse. Ooh, so that's that, art. That should be coming. So VCon week is here. Yep. Yeah, I was just talking May, to Gary yeah. actually directly about oh, that. Really? I wanted. Yeah. I told him I want to DJ at, at the actual yeah, convention. Well they, they hit us up, VCR group hit us up to do mm -hmm. an event uh, at Femas. And I was like, oh, great. Sean Kemp hit me up. You know, Gary. They're like, yeah, but um, we bring our own chefs in, our own bartenders. And I was like, all right, go fuck yourself. Like yeah. It's tough. It's tough. So what do you really want me to he's do? Like, yeah, he's like, he's like, my, my chef's, you know, James Beard award-winning chef. I'm like, oh, my, I was like, my chef is uh, executive of the world. My, yeah, you know, pop, like, poke that yeah, chest so out, we, man. We, so he, he didn't respond, but we're going to do some cool events at FEMA's and maybe we can incorporate some stuff. All For sure. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes you do got to know when to walk away to, to carry your brand power. Integrity, too. And, bro. Yeah. Mm -mm. So, no one um, cooks in our kitchen. Hey, that's just the, that's the way of the world. Uh, we appreciate you coming appreciate on the podcast. You, appreciate you guys. Hopefully, we'll build um, and and maybe have you back. Definitely, sure. definitely. I think definitely. we all, you know, the three of us have some uh, interesting information to share with the world, and uh, hopefully, the viewers enjoy it. And uh, you know, we'll catch you next week. It's a pleasure. Say uh, next time we come on, we're gonna have a wine tasting. Let's do it. We for sure, we should do that. Live wine tasting with we you next time it. we come on. And uh, yeah, how do uh, the people reach you on social medias, uh, the yeah, restaurant, just, different things like that? Just put out your yeah, socials. Yeah, Fema's MPLS uh, is our Instagram. Fema's MPLS.com is our website. Mother Doe is tied into all that. Mother Doe, Instagram, and I'm on Instagram as Elijah Fema. So it's been a pleasure, y'all. What are the it. hours over at Mother Doe again? We're going to uh, stop Monday, by. Monday through Friday, 7 to 2. All right, we'll yeah. stop by this week. And then week. we're going to do happy hour soon. Yeah. Sounds great, man. Thank I you bro. again. Have a good day. Appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. Follow Thanks. us on Inside Boys. Podcast, Inside Boys, Twitter, Inside Boys, IG, Spotify, all that, wherever you get your podcast. Peace.